0: Jeremiah chapter 1, starting to read at verse 4, says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. In the 109th Psalm, Psalm 109 and just reading verse 30. David writing says, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yea, I will praise him among the multitude. Amen. With the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach from this thought, one in the midst of many. One in the midst of many. Amen. The Lord told Jeremiah that before he was even conceived that God knew him and that God had a purpose for him. In no way did the Lord remove Jeremiah's free will or his ability to choose, but the Lord simply knew what would happen before it did. And on several occasions I've stood in this pulpit and commented about how amazing it is that in a crowd of whatever size, whether it's hundreds, or thousands, God is able to respond to that crowd's worship in a corporate sense but simultaneously able to respond to the individual at a personal level of exactly what they need. That's something that is in God's area of abilities, not in ours. We, the more we distract, the more we add to the things that take our attention, the less we're capable of doing a good job. Some people can multitask better than others, but all of us have limits. But God is able to move by His Spirit across the congregation in response to corporate worship and at the same time zero in on one person's situation and their need and minister to them as if they were the only person in the world. I I think the smallest service I've ever been in, that was actually, I've been in one-on-one Bible studies, but... The smallest actual service in a church building I think I've ever been in was four people, and I was one of those. The biggest I've ever been in is probably about 6,000. But it doesn't make any difference. The Lord is able to minister, small crowd, big crowd, to us as individuals. And David seems to grasp this concept a little bit when he declares that he will praise the Lord among the multitude. He was acknowledging that there was many, many people, but he was saying, I'm going to praise the Lord in the midst of the multitude. Scripture has no shortage of examples of how God is able to pay attention to the individual amongst a crowd, or how he's able to pick out somebody that may seem insignificant or possibly even unimportant to others. And there are many examples, but to give you a few, Moses caring for his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert. The Lord calls to him out of a burning bush and Moses' response is not, finally, you've you've seen me. It's about time somebody recognized my qualities. Moses' response is, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? In the book of Judges, when the people of Israel are being oppressed by the Midianites and the Lord sends an angel to Gideon and says, I'm going to use you to deliver these people. Gideon's response is, Oh, my Lord, how will I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So I've come from a small, poor family, and within that small, poor family, I'm the smallest and the poorest. And yet you want to use me. When Saul, before he was the king and before he became inflated in his own pride, When Samuel communicated to him that the Lord wanted him to be the king, Saul's response was, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? These men who considered themselves of little significance, of not great status, were amazed when God pointed his finger at them. We can go to the New Testament. We can look at examples like Zacchaeus being called out of the tree. A man little in stature physically, but not very popular in reputation either. And yet the Lord said, come down out of that tree. I'm coming to your house for dinner. We know the story of the woman with the issue of blood who got down and pressed through that multitude and got a hold of the hem of his garment. We could talk about blind Bartimaeus who as jesus passed by cried out to him and everybody said be quiet he hasn't got time for you and he persisted with crying out and the lord stopped and ministered to that man we could go to john chapter 4 where jesus ministered to the woman at the well of sychar one woman who came to the well at the wrong time of day and he was there to minister to her we could go to the book of acts where the lord takes a preacher out of a city-wide revival in the city of Samaria, sends him into the desert for one Ethiopian man because God sees the individual. These are just a few examples of how Jesus sees everything. But after all, you read Luke 15, it tells us that he is the God of the one lost sheep, the God of the one lost coin, and the God of the one lost son. And many of us can testify if not all of us, of how the Lord seemingly found us in the midst of many others, saved us from our sins, and of times of wondering, why me, Lord? I've often wondered in my gratitude to the Lord, why my family? Why, why my life? Why in the midst of thousands and thousands of people? Because that's how He operates. But then on the flip side of that, many of us can testify of when we've been going through a difficult season in our life, that there have been services in churches with many other people we have felt completely and utterly alone. It seems to be irrational or illogical that in a crowd you could be by yourself, and yet when you go through certain things, it's not unusual to feel like you are the only person that understands. It's not the truth, but it's how we feel. Amen. And before I go on, I want to say to somebody this morning that the promises of God are not affected by the seasons. Whatever season you're in, the promises don't change. They don't become questionable or conditional or, well, that's only for the springtime. Now, even in the coldest, darkest night of winter, the promises of God remain the same. The Lord wasn't showing off or boasting when He said that the hairs of your head are numbered or when he said that he sees every sparrow that falls to the ground, what he was saying was you're not invisible. You're not insignificant but that. He sees you. He sees you. Not only does he see you, but you are important to him and you matter to him. And so while you may not be on the front page of the West Australian every week or on TV or an internet celebrity, which I can't understand why anybody would want that, But the world may not know your name, but you are important to the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're important to the Lord. Now that's easy to say. Now turn to yourself and say, I'm important to the Lord. That we have a harder time believing. But you're all important to the Lord. Amen. However, there's always a but. It's important to realize that we are not invisible to God in a crowd. But the flip side of that is that that also means you cannot hide from God in a crowd. We we would like to be invisible when it suits us. We would like when things aren't maybe what they ought to be, we'd like just to blend. But just as He sees you when you desperately want to be seen by Him, He sees you when you would prefer he didn't notice. Amen. That just killed it. It just went real flat right there. Bring the service back. Let's explore that idea a little further. Israel in the Old Testament were the chosen people of God. Now, we can consider why he chose them, but that's not the, the focus right now. But they were chosen as a people. Yes, we could trace their history back, and we could say, well god called abraham and abraham miraculously had a son and from that lineage came a nation but they were chosen as a people they were chosen as a nation they were chosen as a multitude and the covenant that was made with israel was made with them collectively as a people amen the promises that god made to them were made to them as the children of god and so to be born an israelite particularly in old testament days was a privilege to have abraham and isaac and jacob and and moses as your heritage was special and you see that you know when jesus sat down and had that conversation with the woman at the well he said we know who we worship you don't know who you worship he said salvations of the jews it seems harsh but you can get into that and understand that later on but it was a privilege to be born into the nation of israel when you were born as one of the 12 tribes you were born into the promises and the inheritance that god promised to his people but at the same time god did not see them as a faceless mass of humanity it wasn't just some big blurry group of people that he didn't recognize at an individual level yes his covenant was with them all but as individuals, they were expected to keep the Word of God. As individuals, they were to choose not to worship idols. As individuals, under the Mosaic law, they were to choose not to eat unclean animals. Amen. When you look at the, the story of Jericho, of how God miraculously delivered Jericho into the israelites hands and then when they went on to fight the much much smaller city of ai and how there was sin in the camp and there were consequences you can see how the actions of one person's choice affected the corporate it affected the body amen and that's why we preach against sin not only for the sake of each individual soul but willful sin affects the body Willful, unrepented of sin affects the body of Christ. Infection in one part of your physical body impacts the rest of your body. And so that's one of the reasons that we preach against sin, is because we want everybody to be saved, but we also want God to move in an unhindered fashion in our midst. Amen. If you don't think that God takes that seriously, read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The church was in the midst of an explosive revival as it was being born in the book of acts and people were coming in and this man and his wife sinned there's no argument but the lord killed them both was it because their sin was greater than any other sin that ever happened no i don't believe that's true i believe yes they'd sinned and they were given an opportunity to repent but it was also the impact it was going to have on the growth in the early church Now, that's my opinion. You're welcome to disagree with that. I'm not going to die in a ditch about it. But individual sin can impact the body of Christ. And when enough individuals choose the wrong option, there's a tipping point that can be reached that causes suffering for the whole body. Let me give more examples. You go back the book when moses was leading israel and they sent 12 spies into the promised land 12 came back having all seen the same thing two of them said it's a land that flows with milk and honey we are well able to take the land 10 of them said i've never seen such big ugly giants in all my life and were terrified and the fear and the doubt spread faster than faith because our flesh is naturally attracted to fear and doubt but when we walk in the Spirit, we're attracted to faith and to trusting the Lord. But as that fear and that doubt spread through the congregation of Israel, they reached a tipping point where the negativity consumed what well, the faith and they actually threatened to kill the ones that said God is able. It reached that point where it tipped over. Amen. And we've got to be careful what we bring to the body of Christ. Amen. this this concept or this idea that of the responsibility of one israelite in a whole nation can help us to understand what the bible is talking about in the new testament when it speaks of the idea of predestination it might seem a little random but hopefully that will fit in a minute go with me to romans chapter 8 talking about one in the midst of many Romans 8 and 29 I'll wait till you're all there because it's important we read this together Romans 8 and 29 says for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called them he also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified and there's a lot in those two verses we could spend time on but to where i want to draw attention to today in verse 29 it says for whom he did foreknow that word foreknow means to know something ahead of time or before it happens the lord knows things before they happen amen predestinate which is in both of these verses or predestination means that something is decided ahead of time before it happens so for to foreknow or foreknowledge means when we're talking about the lord that he knows what will happen ahead of time he knows what will happen tomorrow because he's already there amen but to predestinate means to choose or to determine an outcome ahead of time before it happens now there is a doctrine that is taught in some churches about predestination that they suggest or they rather they believe they don't just suggest it but they believe that what it means here is that god has already decided who will go to heaven and be saved and who will be lost and go to hell that he has predestined that that that's already decided before we came on the scene now the problem with that doctrine amongst a variety of things is that it eliminates the fact that god has given man a free will can i really have a free will if that choice is already made for me If, if that's if that's what predestination means and to be clear i don't believe it is But if that's what predestination means, that God has pre-decided on my behalf whether I'll go to heaven or hell, do I really have any choice in the matter? Now, God foreknows, or in other words, He already knows what my choice will be because He's already where my choice is made. That's the advantage that He has. That's knowing ahead of time. That's different from deciding for somebody ahead of time. I hope we understand that. What is predestined... Now, I do believe in predestination. Don't get me wrong. But not of your individual eternity. What is predestined is that God will have a church. That He will have a people that belong to Him. He's decided that ahead of time. That there will be what the Bible calls the bride of Christ. There will be a church. There will be people that are saved. That, He's already decided, is going to happen amen he's decided that those people can claim certain promises and privileges because they are his children and because they've chosen to be born again just as israel as a nation were god's people the church in a new testament setting are god's people and just as individual israelites chose to obey the word of god to experience the benefits of the promises of god you and i as individuals today choose to obey the word of god that we can experience the benefits of his promises that's where we have to understand this god chose a nation the individuals made choices to be in the promises of that nation god has decided already he's having a church you and i decide if we're going to be in that thing amen that's why it's to whosoever will that word will means you make a decision to whosoever would like to choose that's who can be saved not to whosoever got a blue ball and whosoever got a red ball and the red balls go to hell and the blue balls go to heaven it doesn't work like that amen to develop that just a little further if an Israelite in the Old Testament disobeyed God and did not repent they were cut off from the people of God sometimes in a very permanent fashion There were some sins that if they did and they didn't address those sins in the right way in repentance, they would be put to death. Seems pretty harsh. In the New Testament context, if a believer today disobeys God and does not repent, they also take the risk of being cut off with eternal consequences. Thank the Lord that he said, if we sin, we have an advocate. We have somebody we can go to That we can say, Lord, I've broken Your word, I've disobeyed Your law. Please forgive me, and He will forgive us again, and again, and again. I'm glad for that today. Amen. Blessed Lord, the church is predestined. That's why the Lord said, "The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church." He's having to. We sang the song this morning. I am victorious. His church is victorious. The I am part is your choice. The I am part is up to us. the church is predestined, but you and I choose our individual destiny. When we when we make that we sing those words I am victorious that comes with the conditions that we've obeyed the word of God and that we're walking with the Lord. Amen. So back to the nation of Israel. when you read the Old Testament, You'll see that Israel wavered. They went up and down a lot between serving God and not serving God. Serving God, not serving God. It seemed like every time they had a change of king, it was kind of like everybody held their breath to see which way it was going to go. Unfortunately, I think it went the wrong way more often than it went the right way. In fact, in one place, the Lord said, he said, my people are doing the very things I destroyed the wicked for. That's pretty sobering. And they, they went up and down like this. And we we can be very quick to uh, look through the lens of our own self-righteousness and condemn Israel, but we look in the mirror of the Word of God, we may find ourselves having some of the same problems. Amen. So you'll see that the nation of Israel went up and down. It said, and this king was born, and he didn't walk with the Lord as, the, as his father did before him, and he did this and that, and then he died, and then another king was born, and he chose to walk with God, and it was like, you never knew which way it was going to go and some of them did some things right but a few things wrong some of them set new records for wickedness occasionally there was a good king that came along and cleaned the house and said right we're going to serve god again and this was on and on for generations and finally to it might look like just a form of punishment and there was certainly a punishment aspect to it but god wanted to teach his people he allowed them to go into captivity and you can study that in the Old Testament. The, nation, the land was split into two kingdoms and both of them went into captivity. And then miraculously, after a period of time, the Lord brought them out of captivity and restored them to their homeland, back to Israel. And so when Jesus came on the scene, many people, Israelites, the covenant people of God, many Israelites responded to him. When we read about crowds following him, they were Israelites. When we read about him on the Sermon on the Mount with thousands of people and feeding them all, they were Israelites. They were the covenant people of God from the Old Testament. But eventually, along the way, as his ministry grew in intensity and the purpose for his ministry was coming to its apex, his, his crucifixion, those people that he came to were the ones that turned against him and crucified him. That's why in John chapter 1 and verse 11, it says he came unto his own and his own received him not. And because his own people rejected him, he turned from them as a nation and turned toward the Gentiles or you and I that aren't Jews. Thank God that he did today. Amen. And even though the early church, when you read the book of Acts, even though the early church was born with jews the people in the upper room on the day of pentecost were israelites the church in jerusalem was where the first church was born and thousands were responding to the message of the gospel even though that was the case as a nation their status with god had been corrupted and i'm hitting some high notes here we could spend a lot of time looking at this but that covenant with god was broken in a national sense And because of that, throughout history, you see Israel suffer much at the hands of other nations. Amen. So being born an Israelite today does not come with the same benefits that it did in the Old Testament. Because as a nation, the Lord has kind of turned His face from them. Now, we know that Israel has its place in prophecy at the end, and that's for another time. But right now, if you were born an Israelite, it's not necessarily entering straight into a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because that covenant has come to a close. That's why we have an Old Testament or an Old Covenant and a New Testament or a New Covenant. Amen. And yet, having said that, if an individual person is born an Israelite today and responds to the gospel and is born again of water and spirit, baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost they can be a part of the church and be have access to the promises of god today that you and i do so their national heritage as an individual is irrelevant that's why we celebrate all nations sunday but their national heritage as a nation is currently not the benefit that it used to be everybody with me am i making making some sense so far just a little bit awkwardly quiet i'm getting nervous amen sometimes i feel like i'm not very clear so regardless of what is going on around you or how difficult it is you can choose jesus you can choose the lord you can choose to be saved and you can choose to walk with god regardless of your nationality regardless of your circumstance regardless of your family as individuals we can choose to become a part of the church of the living god which is predestined to be his bride in eternity amen amen and by the same token you can be lost in the middle of a church you can be lost in the middle of a church and you can be saved surrounded by wickedness because you have the choice You are one in the midst of many. Regardless of who that many is, you can choose to serve God. You can choose to obey the Lord. Amen. And sometimes you'll feel like you are the only one. But let me promise you this, you are not the only one. The prophet Elijah reached that point where he felt like he was the only person left in the whole country. He said, Lord, it's just you and me. Everybody else has gone into sin. It's just you and me, Lord. And he felt so alone and so isolated and it seems like the Lord let him have a little bit of a pity party for a little while. But then the Lord said, actually, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to idols. There are 7,000 people that are still, they might not be too public because it would be dangerous, but there are 7,000 that are still faithful to the Lord. Amen. So let's, Let's try to bring this down to a present-day context and see if we can get where we need to go this morning. One of the things that the Scriptures prophesy about in the last days is that there will be apostasy, which is a word we don't use every day, but it really means a falling away or many people turning away from God. In Matthew chapter 24, and verse 10, it says, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There's a lot of warning in that for us about our love for God. Then in Second Thessalonians, the Scripture says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for the day shall not come, except there, be, except there come a falling away first. Paul wrote to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 4, I'm happy to give anybody these scriptures afterwards. And he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't be interested in good teaching. But after their own lusts, in other words, the desires of their own pleasures, they shall heap to themselves. That's a really interesting expression. It doesn't say they'll just maybe occasionally have a little bit of a listen to false teachers. It says they will heap to themselves. Teachers having itching ears. Let me... Let me get on one of my soapboxes for just about 20 seconds here. I don't hate the internet. I use the internet. I don't hate YouTube. I use YouTube. But if you're spending a lot of time watching people preach on YouTube and you have no idea where they've come from, what they believe, what their background is, you're pickling your brain spiritually. Because it can sound good. You know, the best lies include truth in them. And if you're on there reading this and reading that, you'll be too scared to go out the front door of your house in the morning. You need to know the Bible says know them that labor among you. Now that has a couple of meanings. One of them is take care of them, but the other one is know who they are that are preaching to you. Know what they believe, know the platform that they're coming from. You can go onto YouTube and there's some guy he's wearing a suit standing behind a pulpit. Or if he's in a bit more of a hipster church, he's got on skinny jeans and a bit of growth and he's got a cappuccino in his hand. It doesn't matter. You need to know what you're listening to. Because you can confuse your own mind. That's what this is heaping to themselves teaches. How many people go online onto YouTube and look for a preacher that will make convict them of sin and make them want to repent? Most of the time we want somebody who's going to make us feel blessed and we're awesome that's not how i read the word of god all right back on track it's just a little commercial break there amen and then the the apostle paul said they've got itching ears and then he said they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables fairy tales make-believe fiction false doctrine false prophets amen so that's that's one aspect of the things that Scripture prophesies about in the last days. Another aspect is that it says, The Lord will pour out His Spirit in the last days. Acts chapter 2, verse 16, and this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And in the book of Matthew it tells us that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world. So, so how do we reconcile this? Is it one or the other? Or is it both? I believe it's both. I believe that when the Lord comes, there will be areas of great revival, and there will be areas of great apostasy, there are seasons, and I don't profess to understand it all, but it seems there are seasons that God moves in certain places. And there are times that the Lord does this here and that He does that there because He knows what He's doing. And so I believe when the Lord comes back, yes, there'll be apostasy. Yes, there'll be people that are heaping to themselves teachers with itching ears, not interested in good teaching and good doctrine. But at the same time, if He's still pouring out His Spirit in the last days, that means there's hungry souls that are being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We can see, even if we look around the world today, we can see areas where there's great revival. There's other areas where it seems really hard and cold spiritually. And I believe, and you can say I'm biased because we live here, but I don't believe we've seen all that God wants to do in the nation of Australia. I think there is still an outpouring of His Spirit that is coming to this nation. Amen. Now, does that mean that if I live somewhere that the church is drifting away from God and no longer holding on to truth, that I have to go along with that flow? Absolutely not or if i live somewhere where there's great revival am i automatically a part of that again absolutely not this is your choice you are one in the midst of many and whether that many if that many is righteous and on fire from god that doesn't guarantee you are if that many is wicked and backslidden in their hearts that doesn't guarantee that you're that either Because you have the power to choose regardless of what's going on around you. You go back to the story of Jericho. Rahab was saved in the midst of the judgment that came on that city. One person in the midst of many. It was a couple. She brought her family into the house as well. But she said, if I will help you, make me a promise. Because we've heard about your God. In the midst of judgment, one lady... Not only was she saved, she became in the lineage of the humanity of Jesus Christ. Amen. Judas backslid while walking the streets with Jesus Christ. So your environment is not the governing factor. Now, I would suggest to you that if you have the power of choice, that you should put yourself in good spiritual environments. I'm not wanting you to leave here and say, Pastor said I can be saved anywhere I go and head to the pub. That's not what I'm saying. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not preaching something that says it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing, I can walk with God. No, 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 That's foolishness. What I'm saying is your environment cannot take away your freedom to choose to serve God some of you may live in homes where your families oppose Christianity some of you may have been born again of water and spirit and you've got orthodox family members then you're worried about what they say God can keep you some of you may have generations of apostolics in your family line he can keep you as well but you need to make your own choices amen I'm glad for a godly heritage I'm glad I can go back to my grandmother on my mother's side and see a lady that was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, but she can't save me. Neither can my mom or any other relative I've got that's walking with the Lord. I have to make that choice. I'm glad to be in the many that are serving the Lord, but I still have to choose that for myself. We need to have a made-up mind. I'll say that again. We need to have a made-up mind mind who will we be who will you be when you sing that song i am victorious is it a decision or just a song is it a statement of i'm going to trust him i'm going to stand on his word i'm going to put my faith in his promises or is it just a good song that we sing along with when the music's playing god is looking for people that will trust him whatever happens You know i read those prophecies and it talks about there'll be apostasy in some places and revival in others that can go on in the midst of a local congregation it's like two travelators at the airport you better make sure you're on the one that's moving toward the lord and not the one that's drifting out the back door you know as churches we talk about trying to close the back door doing what we can to help people to stay saved and become a part of the church and we need to continue to do that and we need to do it better but you can't stop somebody's freedom of choice and you can't blame somebody for your freedom of choice if i go to hell it's because i made decisions you may not get up in the morning and say i'm choosing to go to hell today but you may make decisions that put you on that pathway one in the midst of many the lord's not looking for superstars he's looking for people that will trust him you read the book of revelation chapter three and i'm coming to a close. cast if i could have you on the piano please the Lord said to the church at Philadelphia he said I know thy works I've set before you an open door that no man can shut you know why he'd set that there because they had a little strength but what did they do they kept his word and they didn't deny his name if all you've got is a little strength and you're willing to trust in his name nobody can shut the door all you need is a little strength. And he gives that anyway. He gives us the strength. A little strength and a refusal to deny the name of Jesus and obey the word of God. And nobody can shut the door on you. It doesn't matter what opposition you face. It doesn't matter how hard you're doing it. And I'm not making a lie to anybody's struggles. But if you've got those things, nobody can shut the door on you. hallelujah god deals with us as his body but as individuals in the midst of that body you see there's a couple of multitudes that are listed at the end of the book revelation chapter 20 verse 11 it says and i saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there was no place found for them and i saw the dead small and great stand before god and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were not everybody that ever drowned everybody that was ever eaten by a shark and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. A multitude standing before the throne of God, resurrected, possibly dead for hundreds, thousands of years. God resurrects them. They stand before his throne, and they're judged. The scripture goes on to say that whosoever was not found written the book of life was cast into the lake of fire which is King James English for hell doesn't name individuals talks about a multitude a great mass of people but every person that was there was an individual one in the midst of many that made a decision there's another multitude in the book of Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6 one verse just says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Doesn't again, no names are mentioned. It's a voice like thunder, like many waters. It's a multitude. And every one of them is there because somebody said, I'm going to be there on that day. I'm going to be in that crowd when they sing that song. Stand with me if you would this morning. We sang that chorus earlier that says, You are worthy. The presence of God swept through this place as we worshipped Him. What it would be like on that day to be in that multitude saying, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent or all-powerful Rains, and there will be a multitude of millions of people and the God that we're worshipping will look across that crowd and accept their worship but at the same time he'll see you and you and me as one in the midst of many hallelujah would you lift your hands this morning and just worship him hallelujah Jesus Hallelujah, Jesus. I bring an invitation to somebody this morning. If you've never obeyed the gospel, if you've never repented of your sins, been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, you have an opportunity as one today to say, Lord, I want to be in that multitude. I want to step out by faith and begin to respond to the Word of God to those of you that have already done that and been in this thing for a while I have a challenge for you don't let anything get in the way no offense no issues no coldness of spirit say God I'm going to be there on that day with that sound of many waters like thunder I'm going to be one in the many and I'm going to be able to reach up and say God I'm here I made it, Lord. I'm here, Lord. You kept me. You kept me. When I felt like I didn't matter and I was all alone, you kept me, Lord. I'm here, Lord. I'm just one in the midst of many. If you want to come and pray this morning, this altar is open. If you want to come and kneel or stand, say, God, I want to choose to be in that multitude this morning. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You're going to be in one of those multitudes. Why not choose the one that worships him? Why not choose the one that says hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Hallelujah, lead us cast if you would. Hallelujah, Jesus.